Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited. Episode number 44. 44 is a very symbolic number in professional sports. Got uh, Hank Aaron, Hammer and Hank, the true home run champion, in my opinion. You got Reggie Jackson, Mr. October. And also, 44, I think, was the, uh, the jug size of Morgana the Kissing Bandit. Uh, back in the day, I think you got to be a little bit old school baseball fan to remember who Morgana was, but I, I believe that was her. Uh, that was her jug size, not oh, confirmed, too, but I'm pretty sure. That's too funny. Uh, you know, we always talk, Benny, on the show about uh, wrestling being built built on legacies. A lot of times, that's family legacies, and uh, I mean, no no truer family story than the one we're about to tell. Uh, why don't you tell everybody who we have on the line with us tonight? We have Mr. Shane Russell, son of Lance Russell. Um, anybody who is a wrestling fan, a, a, a true wrestling fan, knows that uh, there are many, many great territories. We've talked so much about territories in our shows. So many great ter- territories. Uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. You got Mid-South. You got World Class. You got AWA. But to me, uh, one of the most iconic territories ever was was in Memphis and the announcer in Memphis wrestling. The, the one thing with Memphis wrestling, there were so many great stars. A lot of them stayed there for a long time, like Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee. A lot of them came and went, like Jimmy Valiant, our you know our, actually our sponsor. Um, so many other ones, but the one constant in Men- Memphis wrestling was Lance Russell. If, if there was something going on in Memphis, Lance Russell was there with a microphone. Absolutely. And uh, joining us, obviously, his son, Shane. Now, it's funny you mentioned the great calls of Lance Russell. Lance Russell had a fun nickname for a good friend of the show. He, uh, what, what was it you said he called uh, our, our buddy Jimmy? No, Jimmy called Lance, Lancer Dancer. Oh, that's right. Excuse me. Yeah. Yes. Um, Lancer Dancer. Well, speaking of, of Jimmy Valiant, he's obviously the wrestling school's our sponsor. Let's do a shout out to him before we get to talking. All right. Well, Dan and Benny in the Rings brought to you by Boogie's Wrestling Camp, founded in 1992 by wrestling legend Jimmy Valiant and his beautiful wife, Angel. BWC is situated in beautiful scenic Shawsville, Virginia. Whether you want to be a wrestler, manager, announcer, valet, BWC is the place for you. And at Boogie's Wrestling Camp, you'll receive the best training possible from Jimmy and his amazing staff. You'll learn holes, bumps, psychology, promos. And the cost is only $250 down, which is negligible these days, $20 per session, Boogie's Wrestling Camp has turned out 29 graduating classes, the most notable alumnus being AW superstar Adam Hangman, uh, Hangman Adam Page. Might have heard of him. Uh, when you join BWC, you're not joining just not just joining a wrestling school. You're becoming a part of the family. Uh, interested? Uh, visit uh, JimmyValiant.Weebly.com for more information on Boogie's Wrestling Camp. BWC, the ring of dreams where the dream becomes reality. And tell them Dan and Benny sent you. There you go. You know, uh, Shane, again, I want to, before we start, I appreciate you being here. I know uh, it's going to be great to talk to you. we got a lot of good stories, and obviously uh, anybody that's a fan of wrestling, especially we were talking before 
we got to uh, uh, recording the territory days in Memphis and all knows knows the voice of your father. He's up there on the Mount Rushmore with Gordon Soley and some of the other commentators. So I appreciate you being here. Well, thank you very much. I uh, I tell you, it's uh, it's a thrill to be here talking about my dad. Uh, I agree with you. He he uh, he is on the Mount Rushmore of uh, of wrestling announcers, along with Gordon Soley and uh, probably Jr. and uh, a couple other folks. But hey, I also want to mention uh, you mentioned number forty four. How about Jerry West? He was one of my favorite players back in the Absolutely. day. Absolutely, number forty four. The the uh, logo of the NBA. Yep. There you go. That's exactly right. Well, you know, speak uh, sports. I mean, obviously, we Benny always loves slipping in baseball references, and we've mentioned basketball, football before, and and, and of course wrestling. You uh, you can't start talking about your father without his mentioning his time in Memphis, and. We've had uh, interviews. We've done interviews in the past. We've had guests on the show. Benny and I both had experience with this. Memphis was so unique, other than its it, just its popularity, is the almost superhero status that the television personalities had. I mean, uh, anybody from from Dundee and Jerry Lawler, these guys were were, and some of the uh, you know obviously many other talents that went through these. They were heroes to the city, and. and your father being among them with it with I'm sure his popularity was huge. What was it like being a kid growing up uh, with, with your dad being the voice of what was the top rated show at the time uh, on in Memphis, on Memphis sports television? Yeah, that that's a great question. You know, uh, growing up uh, back in the sixties and seventies with dad uh, having the top rated show, you know, I, you know, of course, I, I kid Lawler about this all the time, Jerry Lawler. You know, he nicknamed my dad Banana Nose. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I inherited that same, that same uh, trademark that my dad had. I do have a, I do have a rather large nose. So uh, the kids in school used to call me Banana Nose Junior uh, through, through a lot of it. But, you know, what was really funny about it was what, they never messed with me. So they always had that, had that thing in the back of their mind that, hey, you know, if we mess with this guy, you know, maybe Lawler or Dundee or, or uh, you know, Don and Al Green or somebody might come and back me up, you know. So it was kind of nice. <laughs> Imagine, like, Tojo Yamamoto shows up at the cafeteria. At the... Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, Tojo, yeah. So, you yeah, know, it, it was a great time. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny. It, uh, it was a little different in that, uh, it, it, as my dad used to put it, it, it was just a job to everybody back in those days. Uh, they didn't really foresee anything in the future. And boy, in the future, though, it's, it just got huge, you know, wrestling. And, uh, but back in those days, it was, it was more, you know, as, hey, it was, it was his job. Yeah, they knew who Lance Russell was and what he did, and and uh, they certainly knew who my father was as the kids in school. So uh, it was it was kind of nice. Also, it was good to get out of get out of tickets and things like that when the police would pull you over. So mention who you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I imagine most of those cops probably worked security for the events. Oh, 
I, I, I can remember several times when uh, when Dad would uh, uh, unfortunately would uh, have a little bit of a lead foot and and pull <laughs> over, and the guy would come in and, and say, "Oh, wait a minute, Lance Russell, man, I was just down there Saturday morning watching wrestling, you know." So, uh, hey, uh, just be be calm and be slow it down a little bit. And we'll see you later, you know. So it was, it was a good time. You know, re- reference that to now, like if Michael Cole got pulled over, they'd probably throw him right in jail. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> so, like uh, on, on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday morning, what was because I'm thinking maybe half your classmates went to the Mid South Coliseum the night before. Was that like Tuesday is usually a big day at school? It, it was always. It seemed like everybody wanted to talk about what happened. Those who didn't go wanted to know, hey, what happened? What happened to Lawler? Did he win? Did he lose his hair? Did he have to leave town or whatever? You know, or the guys who went, we talk about, you know, hey, what really happened? And, you know, what was it like being backstage or whatever? Yeah. So it was a big time on Tuesday morning, you know, talking with classmates and, and uh, you know, discussing wrestling and what happened and everything. So, yeah, it, it was great. It was that, a good Shane, time. Shane, did you go there most Monday nights? You know, I would probably go, you know, as a younger kid, uh, believe it or not, my, well, you know, my dad, he really didn't want to subject me to that uh, at the time, you know. But as I grew older and got into high school and all that, yeah, I went more and more. And got got more involved in the whole uh, in the whole business. But yeah, when I was younger, Dad wasn't really really a big fan of me uh, hanging around uh, hanging around the wrestling business. Really? Yeah. Usually- you know, Dad. You got to you got to remember, Dad was from the old school of you know he was a, a TV guy. You know, he was program director at WHBQ TV in Memphis and. And uh, he was a business guy and he liked things, uh, you know, run in, in a business-like manner. And, and uh, he, you know, he, that's where he differed a little bit from the wrestling business because the wrestling business was crazy. I mean, you never knew what was going to happen. You never, there, there wasn't a whole lot of loyalties at the time, but dad, uh, dad was kind of different in that. And he, he, he kind of protected me a little bit about, you know, going down there. Uh, so I could at least until I matured enough to knew what was going on. Interesting. That did you have any favorites? Did you? I mean, I'm sure you had guys you loved and guys you hated. Oh my gosh! When I was growing up, uh, without a doubt, the fabulous Jackie Fargo was my hero. Uh, I don't know if I'm going way back for you guys or not. But, not uh, really. No. Uh, Jackie Fargo was without a doubt my hero. Uh, growing up, uh, Jerry Jarrett, who eventually owned the company, you know, he, he started out, uh, and he was, again, he was one of my heroes. Uh, and I, I could go way back to what uh, I tell you, I tell people this all the time, but my absolute favorite tag team was the Fields brothers. You may have to look the, them up, but that were part of the whole Fields, Welch, and Fuller uh, family. Uh, that grew up in this area, but uh, uh, those those guys knew tag team wrestling and they knew how to do it. And oh, I just thought they were they were the greatest thing. You know, w- one of the things that amazes me because I I've watched 
a ton of Memphis wrestling the last couple of years. You know, you watch wrestling now, and a lot of these guys, you know, part of the problem, actually, even in the territories, was you'd have a guy <clears throat> like a Dusty Rhodes in Florida, <clears throat> excuse me, and eventually they had to send him up to New York because he was kind of getting stale. Um, right. It, it seemed like that didn't happen in Memphis for some reason, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm missing it, but it seemed like they had, they, they came up with so many good angles that no matter who was there, it was, it was always very, very interesting. Yeah. You, I mean, you got to give it to the promoters there. You know, Nick Goulas was, or the first one I remember that dad worked for and, and, uh, well, I actually didn't work for him, but he, he did, you know, uh, do the wrestling show with, with Nick, but Nick was great at it. But then when Jerry Jarrett uh, took over the business, Jerry, you, you got to hand it to Jerry. He had a great mind. He'd come up with great stuff. And then, of course, Jerry Lawler, you know, took over from there and, and uh, came up with different angles. It, it was just, it was spectacular the way he would come up with stuff and it, it would just work. So uh, it was great. I, I just saw Jerry Jarrett as the Hawaiian Flash. That was one of the <laughs> yeah. one of the most inventive masks I've ever seen with a palm tree on the side of it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, that was great. And of course, you remember, you know, he was his uh, Tojo's protege, uh, Tojo Yamamoto. You know, for those of you who don't follow Memphis wrestling, but Tojo was uh, was a baby face for a long time, and then became a a heel for many many years. And he and my dad. Uh, uh, squared off uh, for an infamous YouTube video. If you've never seen it, check it out. It's uh, when my dad pulled a hammer on Tojo, and uh, he said, "I may not get, I may only get one lick in, but it's going to be a good one." <laughs> I've never seen. Now I have to see that. Absolutely, it, you've got to see it. It's classic. It's one of the few times my dad actually threatened a wrestler uh, in the business. So wow. uh, it, it's pretty, pretty classic. That is funny. Speaking of wrestling, you know, we, we, I mentioned earlier, we talked uh, multiple sports, you know, Benny loves his baseball references and, and obviously boxing and, and football have always been weak spots for me. As far as entertainment, I'm curious, you, your father was involved in a lot of other commentary and announcing and other sports besides wrestling. Do you, do you know the story of how he got involved as a wrestling commentator? Oh yeah, he uh, you know he, he dad grew up in Michigan and uh, was a big baseball fan back then, and uh, then he he, went, he ended up going to Northwestern, majored in uh, in um, public speaking, uh, was drafted in the army, and got into the broadcasting side of in the army side of the business. Uh, but then he moved to Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, he and my mom moved to Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, he started working for a radio station there. And one of the uh, one of the local wrestling groups there uh, asked him if he would be interested in, in, in calling some play by play. And he goes, "God, you know, I've always been a wrestling fan." He goes, "This that would be great." So he started calling wrestling fan. I tell you an interesting story on that. He and Gordon. Sully uh, one time got together and we're talking to him because Gordon was known as the Dean of Professional Wrestling. And uh, they figured out that dad actually was calling wrestling a year before Gordon Sully started calling wrestling. 
So uh, dad, dad really was, was, was in it before Gordon was, but he and he and Gordon were became really good friends. But, um, but then when he moved to Memphis, Tennessee, again, he was still in radio at the time. And then he moved into, uh, they promoted him into the uh, TV side of the business uh, for program director. This was probably, golly, I want to say it was probably 60, maybe 61, somewhere right in there. And they decided to take on the local wrestling program. And uh, so dad, being the program director, said, God, we need to find somebody to do this announcing. He goes, you know what? He goes, I've done play-by-play for baseball and boxing and everything else in between. I'm going to do it until we can find somebody to take over. And uh, so from that beginning, uh, dad just just stayed with it and uh, became uh, became what you know what it is today. And and that and then a little bit later on, and the uh, he he needs he knew he needed a sidekick. And uh, Dave Brown was in the the radio side of the business, and he went to Dave and he said, Dave, you know, if you ever want to further your career in this in this uh, broadcasting business, you really need to get into TV. And he said, I'd love to have you come in and, and do, uh, and, and be my sidekick on, on wrestling. And uh, boy, from there it, it started. And, uh, and, uh, you know, Dave Brown, Lance Russell, Saturday morning uh, for a long time. They were like peanut butter and jelly for, for years and years. Um, so, Crazy. Shane, uh, I heard that your dad was actually responsible for getting Jerry Lawler into professional wrestling, but it wasn't the the normal way. Um, I, I've heard, you know, Jerry Lawler's artistic skills kind of was what he got him into wrestling. Can you tell us about yeah, that? You're exa- yeah, you're exactly right, Dad. Uh, now, I, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, but, uh, you know, Dad, uh, being the great mind he had for TV and being program director, he saw a he saw a need for something other than than uh, than cartoons, let's just say, on Saturday morning. And he thought, God, this would be great to put a wrestling program uh, on Saturday morning. So he he moved the wrestling program to eleven o'clock on Saturday morning, and uh, and so that's where that started. But then as, as things started going, there was a young kid that kept sending in these great pictures. Of, of what would happen on Saturday morning, uh, you know, pictures of Carl Von Bronner or Saul Weingroff or Jackie Fargo or Toji Yamamoto. He'd draw these just great pictures and he'd send them into dad. And dad just loved them. He just couldn't believe how good they were. And uh, Lawler, of course, at that time was probably 14, maybe 15 years old. So uh, Lawler tells a story. He says, hey, I, one one Saturday morning afternoon, I or I get a call and it's, and uh, it's Lance Russell and he couldn't believe it. And he says, uh, dad told him, he said, Hey, we love your photos. We love you to, to come down and let's, let's show your photos on TV and let's talk about it. And, and so from there he introduced him to Jackie Fargo, uh, the fabulous one. And uh, so Jackie took him under his wing and showed him the ropes and Hey, Lawler is the king of Memphis right as of today. And he's not originally from Memphis, though, correct? Uh, you talking about Jerry? Yes. No, Jerry Jerry grew up in Memphis. Well, okay, all right. I, I take that back. He he grew up, his family 
early on grew up in Cleveland. Okay. And that's where he is a diehard Cleveland fan. Right. But, I knew that he was I a mean, diehard he, Cleveland Indians fan. So was, right. Yeah. But he he uh, from early on he they moved back to Memphis and he grew up in Memphis. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and the rest truly is history. Once uh, once he got into the business there. Yeah. Absolutely. He, you he, know, he, you can't. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're fine. No, I was going to say you're. Anybody that's watched the Memphis tapes, you know, hearing your father commentate on Jerry Lawler and, and especially like some of his feuds with, you know, Dundee and others, it's it's it added that extra level to Lawler's matches. The way that how like uh, the comparison I can I always think to is the way that Howard Cosell added that extra to Muhammad Ali. You, you, right. Anybody else, even honestly, even some of the other before the the uh, you know, we, we talked about like the Mount Rushmore. I mean, even listening to, say, a, a, a Jim Ross or uh, Monsoon uh, or Gordon Soli, somebody like that, I don't think adds that little extra oomph, especially with the reactions of the Memphis crowd. I mean, anybody that watches those Memphis tapes every day, every event they had, there was. Somebody was jumping the guardrail. Somebody was, you know, uh, you, you hear Lawler tell stories, Cornette, any of those guys that were were big in, in that part of the country. You know, you got people throwing stuff at you, taking swings at you. You know, you you, you don't get that energy without without the style your dad had. Uh, Benny, you made a, a interesting comparison. I want you to kind of touch on that question uh, to uh, uh, I think it was Vin Scully. Yeah. So. Um, to me, and Gordon and, and your dad were like not even one and one A. They're both like one and one because to me, they're both the best. And they were a little bit different, though. Gordon, I, I had the I used the analogy that Gordon was a little bit more like Walter Cronkite. But being that we're talking about baseball, uh, I'll switch over a little bit. So back in the day, Red Barber was the announcer for the uh, for the Yankees and very good announcer, but very low key. You know, just pretty, for the most part, monotone. Definitely knew his stuff, though. Excellent, excellent broadcaster. But um, your dad reminds me of Vin Scully, who uh, used to broadcast the the Brooklyn Dodger games and then the Los Angeles. I think he actually did the games for like 67 years. He finally retired when he was 88. But he was more like, he had a, a little bit more emotion than Red Barber. And you kind of felt like he was just almost a little bit more a part of the action. And that's how I viewed your dad. Like your dad was, you know, he, he wasn't monotone. I mean, and he, you know, you could tell how he felt about things. And I really enjoyed that about him. Is that kind of how he wanted to portray himself? Well, and you're exactly right on that. He, um, you know, there've been several comments made about dad, uh, how he, he, it was almost like listening to your grandfather, call the matches, you know, whatever he said, you believe, I mean, this, this was real. And, uh, if Lance Russell said it, it really happened. And, uh, you know, I don't know if dad really, you know, wanted it to come across that way. I think that's just the way he was. Um, you know, he, he just had a great way of telling, telling stories and telling the way things were that just made you believe. And I think that's what really, set Memphis apart was when you, when you heard Lance Russell say that, Hey, Lawler pulled a chain out and opened 
you know, Bill Dundee up. I mean, I mean, you, you believed it, you saw it and you, you knew it. And, uh, that's what really just, I think that's what really made dad so unique is that, that, you know, it wasn't the, uh, and nothing against Gordon Sully. It wasn't the monotone, you know, Hey, you know, this is what happened. Uh, but it was like, dad was just telling the story and you could feel you on a personal level about what was going on in the ring. You know, as good as Gordon was, I can't see him doing what your dad did in Memphis. I think your dad was just the right person at the, you know, at the right place. You're exactly right. Um, you know, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of, uh, God, what was his name? Uh, um, golly, I can't think it was, I want to say Howard Baum, but I'm not sure if that was him or not, but he, he did an article on the top wrestling commentators and he felt Lance was the, the top one. And he, he mainly because of how important he was to the Memphis wrestling, you know, business. Uh, you, you put anybody else in there, it probably would have never worked, but Lance, he, he made it work and he made everybody believe what was going on. Absolutely. Yeah, here I am watching these shows. Like, I mean, literally 40, you know, 35, 40 years later. And to me, it's because I, I didn't grow up with it. So a lot of these things I'm seeing for the first time and it's, it's, it still works. I mean, and you, you see the crowd. I mean, that crowd is 100% engaged. You know, you watch, you watch wrestling now, you know, people are, they, they kind of pop for the high spots, you know, yeah. but, but I mean, back, you watch Memphis wrestling, that crowd was in that engaged a hundred percent of the time. Absolutely. All the time. It was crazy. I tell you the biggest, the biggest uh, uh, impact I ever saw on a crowd and if you remember this or not, but what Lawler and Austin Idol was in a hair versus the hair, hair match, match. In yes, a, in a cage, and they put Tommy Rich under the the ring. That's a great story there. But the, the Tommy Rich is under that ring for like four hours before the match, and rumor has it there was a there was a case of beer underneath yeah. there too. But uh, but when he came out and 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 Austin tells his story, great, he goes. He goes, I was afraid for my life trying to go back to the dressing room after it was over with. I mean, that's how and the crowd was so into the into the match. That's uh, emotions yeah. that, you know, you never see now. I mean, people get excited about a high spot, but they don't have the passion that they used to have in those shows. Uh, oh, no, absolutely not. And I mean, you think about you're talking you know, Lawler and, and, you know, uh, some of those moments, I mean, this is 1970s, 1980s rest Memphis, you know, pure Memphis wrestling 40 plus years ago. And I, we, people still talk about it fondly. They still remember where they were, what they saw, you know, we're recording this on a Tuesday. I can't remember most of what I watched on Monday night raw. And that wasn't 40 hours ago. Like it, right. it, it it just doesn't today's product just doesn't hit you. But I, I speaking of the crowd, I have to know, um, other than the 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 huge crowds, the ten thousand plus when they were in the Coliseum, I mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, Memphis Wrestling was the number one rated sports program on Saturdays in, in that market. 
And I'm curious if there's any truth to the story, because your your father, you mentioned it before, your father was the program director for the station that carried right. uh, championship wrestling. Was there any truth to the, to the idea that it was, to, or to the story that it was his idea to move the show to Saturday mornings, which really defined the entire generation because a lot of other territories followed suit and Saturday morning became wrestling time? Without a doubt. And I'm not just, saying it because he's my dad, but my dad had just a great TV and Jerry Jarrett saw that early on. His dad had a great TV mind. He knew, he knew the business and dad did. He saw a need for, for a program, an adult program on Saturday morning, other than cartoons. And so he, he made the decision to move that to 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. And it became classic. You know, for those who lived in Memphis, uh, other things that dad did, you know, he came up with an idea for to show a um, B-rated scary movies, which became a huge hit called Fantastic Features, uh, was hosted by Savad. It's, it's a local uh, scary guy, but it, it was very, huge in the market. Uh, there's a there's fans of Savad on Facebook, uh, if you if you ever looked that up. The other thing that people don't know is my dad had this idea about he thought it would be a, a very interesting to show a live fishing show where somebody a professional will go out and catch fish. And my dad, he got Bill Dance. I don't know if you know who Bill Dance is. Yes, not, absolutely. But he, he got Bill Dance and they put on the first fishing show that showed, you know, how to catch fish. I mean, I mean that that's I mean just showing you how creative my dad was in in the in the broadcast industry of putting on programs like that. Def, definitely way ahead of his time. So uh, earlier, I did the commercial with Jimmy for Jimmy Valiant, Jimmy's uh, wrestling school, BWC, um, Bowie's yep. wrestling camp, and um, Jimmy Jimmy's a true legend in the business without a doubt, just like your oh. dad. Jimmy spent a lot of time in Memphis both as yep. a heel and a baby face. And I, a couple of months ago, I actually went to his, his BWC. What a beautiful place in Shawsville, Virginia. It, I always joke, you know, set your GPS to middle of nowhere. When you get to middle of nowhere, then drive another 50 miles and you're in Shawsville. But it's, <laughs> it's truly God's country, you know, because only God and Jimmy Valiant know where the place is. But um, it, it's a great school. I mean, again, you, you see people with passion to become a professional wrestler and following their dreams. And it's it just watching that, watching these young kids, you know, train under Jimmy Valiant and his crew and, you know, wanting to be, to make that their vocation. I love that. But um, I know he, uh, like I said, he, he dubbed your dad Lancer Dancer. Do you have any good memories of Jimmy Valiant? Jimmy was, uh, Jimmy was definitely one of my dad's favorites. Uh, you never knew what he was going to do whether, you know, to kiss him or hit him or whatever. Uh, but he was definitely one of my dad's favorite. I, I, I there is a story I tell, uh, I took my nephew one time who was probably only about, I don't know, four or five years old down to, down to the Saturday morning wrestling. And we're standing right as the, right near the uh, entrance to the door. And Jimmy comes out and he sees me and he grabs my nephew who doesn't know what's going on. And he starts, you know, holding him up and walking him around the ring and all that. 
And uh, but that it just shows you what how what a great guy Jimmy was, and and uh, you know I, of course I you know Jimmy uh, came down and did a lot with Memphis wrestling, and and Dad just loved interacting with Jimmy. He he, he did a couple of uh, comic cons and and wrestling shows later in life with Jimmy, and they just they just hugged each other and talked about the old days and. And uh, Dad just loved him. He just absolutely loved Jimmy Valiant. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard not to, honestly, not just for his in-ring talent. I mean, Benny and I have said both said the Valiant brothers, arguably the greatest tag team ever. But he's it's also as, just as a person. I mean, you don't hear too many stories about, or let me rephrase that, there's not too many people you hear more stories about uh, nicer loved characters than Jimmy. Everybody in the locker room loved him. He was a good guy, uh, down to yeah. earth. And, you know, somebody based on what you said so far, I could see why your, your dad would have been drawn to, to be friends with someone like that. And, and, you know, Jimmy is probably the most opposite of what he was on camera. I've never seen anybody totally opposite of what he was on camera. Yeah. Especially considering the old adage that the best characters you see are the real you turned up to 11. And he made a, a good good career being someone who wasn't himself. Right. Exactly. That's that's great. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I want to go back to, to announcing because obviously the, the Valiant Brothers and, and any a lot of the moments um, that. When we, when we talk about the moments your, your dad is is famous for calling, uh, he has mentioned before old interviews that he did years ago that uh, what they call smartened up. He wasn't smartened up, you know, to, to understanding like the work, the, the, the slang, the lingo, what was happening. He called uh, the match like a real fight. Like he called it on the fly, what he was seeing as it was happening. Right, uh, right. I mean, but... You listen to the commentary nowadays, if you can get through the, the the ads where they'll spend five minutes of a match talking about, you know, Snickers or whatever, um, it, you can tell they have an earpiece. You can tell they have their moments where they have to say things a certain way. I'm wondering when when your dad called matches, was he was he kind of for lack of a better term, was he on his own? Was it I'm going to call this live or did he have notes of, hey, look for this moment, look for that moment? Because it just it seemed like there's no way to get that energy and that authentic feel of what he was calling without calling it live, not knowing what he was about to see. That's a great a great question and a great point I want to make. That uh, Dad always through his whole career, and even the asked Dave Brown too, they'll tell you the same thing. They didn't want to know how the ending got there. They knew. They knew what the ending was going to be, but they didn't know how it was going to get there because what they wanted to do was to be able to call the match and give it their true personal feeling of, of what was going on in the match. You know, if, if you think about it, if you, if you knew what was going to happen, it would kind of take away from their reaction. I mean, dad never wanted to know that. He want, Yeah, he, he knew who was going to win or, or whatever, but he didn't know how. So he wanted to be able to call that, you know, truthfully as, as and just the way he saw it. And uh, I think that's what really made him uh, different from uh, today's guys. I think they know what's going on and 
they're being told. Dad, you know, yeah, he had an earpiece in his ear later on in his career, you know, telling him when a commercial break was happening or whatever. But as far as how what was going to happen, he never knew that. And that's what that's why he came across as such. Oh, my God, Lance Russell just called this. You know, it was great. Absolutely. Shane, you know, you just mentioned Dave Brown. Um, and you, you yeah. did mention as far as how, you know, how he became uh, your, your dad's partner. I really think right. Dave Brown was the perfect foil to play off against your dad's personality. Um, and I, I did a little bit of research and I, I, I believe your dad, uh, the, what he liked about Dave was that he was uh, very, very dependable. And whatever Dave said he was going to do, you know, Dave did it. And in my opinion, he's very unheralded. Uh, as far as a, a wrestling commentator, um, can you talk a little bit more about Dave? Yeah, you know, what I can tell you about Dave is, is that Dave and dad were best of friends. I mean, they, I mean, you ask Dave and he'll tell you that in all the years they, they were together, they never had an argument, never had a crossword. They just worked so well together. Uh, they knew they knew what one another was going to do or say, or they knew how to react. And and Dave, of course, you know his main job was a weather guy, and Dave was just one of the preeminent, you know, weather guys in the territory. And he's gotten so many accolades for doing that job. Uh, Dave was just a professional from day one uh, when Dad, you know, recruited him into the TV industry. Uh, but yeah, they were just, I, I can't say enough about Dave. I mean, they, you know, when dad passed away, uh, in 2017, uh, you know, I had, uh, I asked, uh, Lawler and Dave to speak at, at the wake and both just, you know, Hey, I, I'm gonna, I'm a Lawler passed up a great opportunity to be in the New York comic-con. And he said, Hey, I'm going to be there for your dad. And um, I'm sorry. It's, it's still to this day. It's a little touching for me, but Dave was the same way. I, I'm going to be there. You know, and they were just all such good friends together. That's really nice to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something you don't hear a lot of today. And, you know, about the old days in re- wrestling, uh, you know, the loyalty and their friendships and, I can tell you that Dave Brown and Lance Russell were tied at the hip and they were such good friends and, and, you know, throw Lawler into that with dad. And it it just, it just made a a good, a good tandem there. Absolutely. Speaking of loyalty, uh, we, 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 the name Jerry Lawler keeps coming up and you can't talk about Jerry Lawler wrestling. You can't mention your father without, talking about Andy Kaufman and <laughs> you're you talk about people that seem joined at the hip wherever Andy Kaufman went your dad was there he he covered for him he announced the moments he called the matches he called the 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 fights even the random side encounters between Kaufman and Jimmy Hart that most people kind of forget fell by the wayside because of his interactions with Lawler your dad was always there I, I'm I just I was wondering it, it, that really seemed like something despite the serious 
uh, you know, obviously your dad was always the straight man. When you hear the commentary, he really seemed to the joy that came through his voice when he talked about that, mostly because of, I imagine how big of a fan a lot of those guys were did two, two, two part question here. One, did your dad uh, enjoy covering Andy Kaufman? And two, did he ever say anything or have any opinions about the portrayal of uh, his portrayal and, and being involved in uh, man on the moon, the Andy Kaufman biopic? Yeah, great question. He, uh, you know, he he actually he, he absolutely loved that whole that whole uh, time frame with Andy Kaufman and Lawler. Uh, he, he uh, you know, the things he said about Andy uh, about Andy Kaufman was, and nothing bad against Andy Kaufman, but you know, he said he was a strange person. <laughs> That's kind absolutely. of the way he put it. He said, you know, he this guy. Uh, you know, he, he, he just thought he was, you know, into this wrestling gimmick and he, he portrayed it to the end. And, uh, and then, you know, when he said, uh, you know, when he, when he got into the whole, the whole gimmick of it, he, he just never, never went out of it. He was, he was a heel and that's the way he was, you know, he tells a great story about the first time when Lawler pal drive him into the ring you know the uh jerry calhoun went up to him and he was laying on the floor in the ring and uh and and calhoun said hey you know you got to get up you know calvin calvin said no i'm not getting up you know you're gonna have to call an ambulance and call and calhoun was like what do you mean call that's gonna be extra money i'm not we're not doing that he goes well you're gonna have to call one so they calvin would not move until an ambulance came and put him on the stretcher and drug him out of that ring. And, you know, that's just the way he was and everything that he did. And dad, dad loved it just because it was just all part of the whole business. And, and uh, Kaufman was, was into being smart about the business. And so he, he absolutely loved, loved Andy, loved Lawler, loved the whole gimmick. Uh, he, he just thought it was great. And a second part of your question was man on the moon. Dad, actually my dad and my mom went out to Hollywood. Uh, they, uh, uh, although we didn't get to do the part that he really wanted to do, he got, uh, Jr. ended up doing that, but dad got to be the, the ring announcer in the ring. My mom was in the crowd. They dressed her up as, as one of the Memphis, uh, Memphis fans, but, uh, dad loved being in the ring and, and uh, dealing with Jim Carrey. And that was another strange guy that dad always talked about. He says, Jim Carrey, golly, when he got into the Andy Kaufman character, he never got out of it. Even after the, the cameras went off, he stayed in the Jim, the uh, Andy Kaufman character, never got out of it. So uh, he, he absolutely loved going out there and doing that. Yeah, they had a... Uh, a- documentary recently about that the behind the scenes kind of a uh, i don't want to say descent into madness but it followed the filming of that movie and jerry i mean he was so committed to staying as andy kaufman even he and jerry lawler started getting into it off camera because he channeled a lot of that early memphis the heat that those two had uh and i i like what you said where he he Kaufman kept it real because even after uh, at non wrestling appearances, he kept the neck brace on. He kept 
oh. the uh, the character going. I haven't seen anything like that in years. Uh, a, a, a couple, I guess, about was probably been a year or two now. Uh, Pat McAfee, the uh, former punter, now sports host, had he uh-huh. was involved in in uh, NXT WWE programming for a little while, and he he got beat up on camera. And the next day, when he recorded his show, he recorded it with a neck brace on. And it was very, it reminded me a lot of that. Something, I, you know, the old school guys would, would appreciate. Oh, dad was, dad was very much into kayfabe. He, you know, if, if you weren't smart in the business, he, he never said a word. Even to his, even in his last years of his life, he was very protective of the business. I, I couldn't believe how loyal he was to the business. Then I said, dad, you, dad, guys would want to hear the stories about, you know, what really happened? What was, oh, no, we can't tell that kind of stuff, Shane. Wow. <laughs> he would just go into that. He was, he was kayfabe from the, <laughs> the day he died. Shane, the other, the other thing I think of when, I, when, when we talk about your dad is the, the Tupelo concession stand brawl. Um, oh, it happened at the end of one of the TV tapings. Did he know it was going to happen? Because you, you see the crowd filing out. And all of a sudden, you hear your dad say, uh, "You know, get a cameraman out here." It 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 just seemed very impromptu, and I mean, I don't think if you tried that again a thousand times, you could duplicate that no. scene. They they tried to do that a couple other times, and it just never really went over. And you're exactly right, Dad. Uh, I, I and I tell this I tell this to my people. I I think this tell this shows how great Dad was in this business. He did not know what was going to happen. And, and we went to a, um, a, a convention over in Charlotte. I can't think what they call it now, but uh, we went over there for one of the conventions that had dad come over and we, and Wayne Ferris was there and, and Wayne, uh, you know, he tells a story that, you know, Jerry Jarrett came to him and said, Hey, look, you know, the, the territory's been a little down. We need, we, we really need to make something happen. So do whatever you need to do to make something happen. And and Dad had no idea what was going on. Of course, uh, Dad's longtime um, uh, video videographer, I guess, is the correct phrase, Mike Shields, you know, who did all the the video for them. Uh, but they uh, they were videoing down in Tupelo, and uh, Dad had no idea what was happening. And they went, and and the match ended. And they still continued, and then they went black. And this is where Dad just—he just picked up on it. You know, he just said, "Hey, Mike, grab your camera. Something's going on." You know, and 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 then they quickly walk down the stairs and go into the concession stand and show what became famous. You know, with Lawler and Dundee and and uh, Ferris and Latham, and uh, you know, Dad's just whole whole uh t- talking about what was going on uh was was just was just brilliant to me and i i think that just really shows how good he was and what he did yeah i mean for all intents and purposes after that match you you thought he must have thought well the show's over now all of a sudden like now he's on overtime right because you know this this is happening in the concession stand but it was just I, I didn't, I mean, whether he knew or not, he made it sound like he was calling it right on the fly. And it sounds like he yeah. actually was. No, I can tell you, he did not know that was going to happen. 
and 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 what was so great if you can watch it on YouTube and you watch it and it, the camera goes black and you but you can hear Dad in the background. Yes. Hey Mike, grab your camera. Let's go down and see what's going on. You know, and I I just think it's just brilliant the way they turn that into. I mean, you believe what was happening, what was going on. It was it it was one of our friends Nikita Brezhnikov that that's been on our show several times. He wrote a book and it was it was specifically covered the WWF from 1970 through 1979. And the the title of the book and it's a it's a great book. I've read it several times. It's called When It Was Real, yeah. and that totally applies to like every minute of Memphis wrestling because it all seemed very real. You're exactly right. I mean, and, and uh, again, it goes back to, you know, what people said about dad, you know, it's like your, like your grandfather telling you, telling you the play by play. I mean, you just believed everything he said and he just did a great job. And the one thing about dad that I've always, you know, I've always said about dad, he, he was probably the best ad libber I've ever seen in my life. I mean, as much as I like to think I can ad lib, this my dad, he never was a loss for words. Never. He helped so many wrestlers through interviews. If you look at the early interview with uh, Hulk Hogan and his brother, Brutus, back when they first came to Memphis, it, it was a struggle. Uh, you look at the early interview with Bill Dundee, it was a struggle. But dad walked him through it. I mean, he got him through it. It, it was just, It was just amazing what he could do. And he just was never at a loss for words. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny, you know, you look back at some of the moments and that, that clip of, I think they were, what was it? Hulk and Ed Boulder, I think was the name they were going by then. Ed and Dizzy right, or something right. like that, or Dizzy and. Yeah. Well, it was what Dizzy and Sterling golden. I think yes, that was, yes, a, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you, you see that clip, and oh man, look at how how their careers took off. And there's so many little moments where your dad's just front and center for everything. And it reminds me, you were talking uh, about the concession stand brawl. You know how the way he called it, it sounded so real. You could hear the shock. You listen to the commentary today, and you know, guys, uh, he setting up the table or he's setting up a spot where, you know, clearly something's going to happen. And you hear the announcer is like, Oh God, no. Oh God, no, don't do that. Don't like you're, you're sitting there begging or pleading or shouting for five minutes. And it's obvious it's a setup and everybody knows what's about to happen. It just doesn't have that same oomph. Right. Exactly. Right. I tell you another great video. If you've ever seen it is when, uh, when ultimate warrior and steam first came into Memphis, uh, kind of escapes me what they were called originally, but at that time, but golly, they were so green at that time. And dad just, dad just walked him through the interview, like, like nothing, just another Saturday morning, you know? Yeah. It's funny because a lot of wrestlers talk about other wrestlers who, you know, when they were in the ring with them, <clears throat> when they early in their career, they were very grateful because they, you know, the other wrestler would take him, you know, the more experienced wrestler would take him through the match and make him look good. But I don't think your dad gets enough credit for doing the same thing. I, I think 
Uh, Sting and uh, Warrior were the Blade Runners, I believe. Blade Runners, Ro- yep. Rock and Blade or something Blade like that. Runners. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Blade Runners. Yeah, I mean, right. I, and I did see that interview, and I thought, man, this is, you know, if it wasn't for your father, it would have been really painful. But I think your dad yeah. did a very good job, and it's very under, unappreciated. He elevated people as far as their promos. And I think that's something that's – I I like the format of – uh, the the announcer asking the questions in that kind of format, like your dad always interviewed, you know, Wall or Dundee, etc. You know, nowadays right. you get a Roman Reigns in the middle of the ring with a microphone for 15 minutes, and right. it doesn't do the same thing because, like, part of the part of the the value of the promo for me was your dad's reactions as you know as the right. questions were being answered. And you you kind of you don't have that nowadays, right? You know, and, 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 you know, it was kind of an unwritten rule. Well, it was an unwritten rule, but you never, you never touched Lance Russell. You know, that was just, you never touched him. Of course, Dream Machine, I don't know if you've ever seen that video or not, but, you know, Dream grabbed dad and threw him to the ground. And that, you know, that's, that's just a great video and something you'll never see again. That's just the only time dad's ever really been pushed around like that. But, there's been so many great times when, when Jimmy Hart was getting ready to go up to WWF and he poured that uh, bag of flour on dad. That was another great time. And when uh, Eddie Guerrero uh, teased him with the uh, pinata, uh, blindfolded him and tried to get him to hit the pinata, that was another great time. I mean, it was just so many times like that that uh, they used dad in those instances and and because of dad's reputation, I mean, it just made everything so believable uh, that, you know, when they th- did those through those things in there that, oh, my God, you know, look what they did to Lance, you know, that can't happen, you know. So uh, it, it was just it just made everything so great uh, back in those days. Absolutely. Yeah, without question. You know, I, I mentioned the uh, the commentary related to the current product as we. As we wind down the interview here, I'm curious, uh, especially, I mean, your, your dad worked through the 90s. I mean, it was, I think it was 1997 when he officially retired. Uh, you know, yeah. Did he have, and that was, I mean, that was peak right at the right at the, the shifting of what would become the Attitude Era and WCW had the NWA or the NWO and a lot of the, the right. territories were, were pretty much dead at that point in, in the grand scheme. Uh, but up through the two thousands into the, the, the aughts, you, did, did your dad continue watching the product? Did he have a, an opinion of what he saw at the end, towards the end there? He, he would, you're, you're exactly right. He, uh, I'll back up just a little bit, but you know, when he, when he got hired by WCW and went uh, down there, you know, he, at that time it was t- it was a tough decision for him. He, he didn't really want to leave Memphis, but yet he wanted to expand his, horizon and see what was out there and he went down there and it, it turned out that wcw didn't use him correctly that's my opinion i think that was my dad's opinion too they just didn't use him correctly and they didn't uh didn't use his talent and uh so he came back to memphis but uh then when he officially retired uh he he, he tried to watch some of the the wwf and and he, he just really couldn't get into it he just didn't I don't know what it was. I mean, you guys are old school too, like myself, but you know, you, you couldn't connect 
to what was going on at that time, uh, where you could on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock in Memphis, Tennessee, every Saturday, you could connect what was going on, and you just felt it. Uh, He just didn't have that feeling for him. Uh, Not that he didn't like it. He still liked the business. He just didn't feel the same connection that he felt like when he was doing it. Uh, So, you know, that's kind of the way he felt. My my uh, my mom, uh, his wife of 67 years, uh, had a lot of health problems, and uh, he, he kind of got out of it for a while. Then when she passed in uh, 2014, uh, I got my dad back involved in doing some uh, comic cons and wrestling shows, he, and he just couldn't believe that people still remembered him. You know, I kept showing him videos on YouTube, and he couldn't believe YouTube. You know, at that time, you got to remember, he was late 80s, early 90s. He, and he just couldn't believe it. And we, we created a Facebook page for him, and, and, and uh, he, he just couldn't believe. Um, again, I'm sorry, I get emotional about this, but he couldn't believe the fans. And that was Dad's whole thing his whole life. He realized that, you know, where his money came from. It was the fans. And he loved he loved doing that for everybody, and uh, he was just so appreciative. In his later years, people remembering who he was, and you know what he did for the wrestling business. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's touching to see, you know, because of how much when you think about people talk territories, Memphis in the grand scheme of things is a small area to the national wrestling audience, but your father right. had fans everywhere. I mean, really anywhere they were watching wrestling, even Europe, Canada, everywhere in these States, we have uh, regulars on the show, friends of the show that, that live all over the world that are huge fans of your father. And you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that meant that he understood how beloved he was. Uh, Cause a lot of times you hear he- stories uh, Benny, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, with like Dominic DiNucci and some of these others who never really got into fully grasping just how popular or beloved they were. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you this story and I hope I can get through it without crying. But my dad was, uh, he did a show in Memphis. Uh, Lawler and his son uh, put it on. Uh, Brian, of course, who's passed away since then. But um at the end of the show, my dad was 90 years old and his back was killing him. His legs was killing him. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? This was the end of the show. He says, let's go out front. I want to, I want to thank all the fans that came to the show. We went out front. He shook everybody's hand. said, Hey, thank you for coming. And to me, that says everything about my dad. Did I lose you? No, no, you're you're fine. I, I was just wanted to give you a second. Um, as oh, a ton- it, an incredibly it's, touching it's, it's story. Really, it's touching to me because I knew how how much he loved the fans and how difficult it was for him to do that because of you know he had been standing the whole night. And for him to go out there and do that uh, just shows you how much he appreciated the fans. 
you know, as as we wrap up here, uh, Benny, final final question for you. What are, what are you thinking? Well, uh, and I want to tell a quick story, and then I'll ask a question. Um, so about a year ago, I guess it was about a year ago, uh, and I, didn't, I don't even remember why, but I had to call Terry Funk. And um, Terry Funk doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. And I'm like, I'm, I felt like a 17-year-old kid asking a girl in the movies, like almost praying she wouldn't answer the phone, you know, because uh, I, I wouldn't know what to say. But he answered the phone. And at first he was kind of, well, first of all, he didn't know who the hell I was. So naturally he'd be put off a little bit, but, um, and then, but I said something to him and I, I don't even know what made me, what made me say this, but the words just came to me. I said, Terry, I said, I just want to thank you for, you know, all those years of sacrifice. I said, I know that you spent time away from your, your family. I know that you spent time, you know, you holidays, you miss your kids' birthdays. You probably wrestled hurt a lot. You traveled in cars with, you know, smelly, sweaty guys, you know, just to entertain us. And, um, you know, I want to thank you for that. And I want to tell you that there are there are thousands of people just like me who feel the same way. And all of a sudden his demeanor completely changed. You know, the gruff Terry Funk said, you know, that's that's probably one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. And, you know, we had a really nice chat after that. Um, But I, I wonder, like. Did your dad, I mean, I guess kind of a question, did, how did your dad want to re- be remembered? And did he realize how loved he was? You know, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, he, thankfully, uh, I was very active in his, his life. at the end of, He lived with my wife and I for the last uh, three, year, three years of his life when my mom passed away. So he lived with us. And. And that's when we really got involved in doing a lot of the going back into the wrestling and doing a lot of the shows and the comic cons and all that. And, and again, he just couldn't believe everybody remembered him. He, he, he was just shocked. He thought he had, you know, he'd done his time. Nobody remembered it. everything's WWF now. And, and, but he just couldn't believe. And, and the first Comic-Con we did, and I hope I'm not taking too much of your time here, guys, but... Not at all. We did a Comic-Con in Evansville, Indiana. That was the first Comic-Con we did. And and I, I had to convince him to go. He goes, Shane, he goes, nobody remembers me. They know Jerry Lawler and Hanson Jimmy and, and Bill Dundee, but nobody remembers Lance Russell. I go, Dad, they know who you are. Believe me, trust me, they know you. We go to this Comic Con, and no kidding, the line to see Lance Russell was longer than to see Jerry Lawler or Bill Dundee or Handsome Jimmy. Wow. It was unbelievable, and and we had nothing. I, you know, that, you know, at that time we were new to this Comic Con, and we we brought one set of pictures, and that's all we had. And we ran out, and people were like, "Hey, can you sign this? Can you sign that?" And and Dad just couldn't believe. We went back to the hotel that night, and he goes, oh "My God, Shane, I can't believe people remembered me." And I said, "Dad, I'm gonna put it to you bluntly. You're a legend in this right. business." And he just couldn't believe it. And uh, so from there, it was just, you know, you know, Dad just just. To answer your question, he knew at the end of his life That's how good. much he meant to everybody in the business. 
you always you always want to hear you always want to hear that because you know I don't think people give enough credit is to and I know being you know almost forty this probably sounds a little weird but people don't give credit to how much wrestling meant to those of us that grew up in that era or or remembered those you know the <laughs> to 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 steal from a meme i mean it's still real to me damn it you know that you you have these moments that that it really defined a lot of views not just of sports and entertainment but the world and and what it meant to be someone's hero and icon and to your your father really gave a voice to that and it's good to hear that he understood how much his voice meant to so many people ah it just it thrilled him to know that at the end of his life. And I'm so glad he knew that. He just, he, he loved the business ever since he was a kid. He was a wrestling fan. And then to be able to do what he did to announce wrestling and, and go through Memphis wrestling and be a, become a, a crucial part of the Memphis wrestling and then, and then to end his life like like the way he did. It was it was you know going out to the Cauliflower Alley Club. I don't know if you know that or not, but you know in 2017 he went out to the they asked him to come out to the Cauliflower Alley Club and uh, to accept an award. And, and that was I was just like the icing on the cake for him. You know he just he realized that you know I meant something in this business, and that's. I'm so glad that happened before he died. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that I can't think of a better sentiment to end on as we wrap up the show. Shane, uh, we we talk so much about your father. Do, do you have any any closing thoughts? Any any final words you want to put out there? No, I uh, you know I apologize for being so emotional. It's just still a still a very emotional time uh with my dad we we came we became very close at the very end of his life when he lived with my wife and i for you know for four years there before he passed away and uh but he uh he loved wrestling he loved the fans that was his that was his big deal he he loved the fans and uh he 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 just he just can't thank enough for everything that that happened to him in his life. Uh, you know, his relationship with Jerry Lawler, his relationship with Dave Brown, believe it or not, you know, handsome Jimmy, Bill Dundee, Jackie Fargo. I mean, the list goes on, you know, with all the guys that he knew in his business. So, uh, I, I thank you guys for having me on. I'm sorry for, for being emotional, but, uh, no apology necessary. That's, yeah. No, don't that's be. the way not I am. No, but, I absolutely uh, understand. I, I thank you for uh, for uh, thinking of my dad in this business. And for those of you who don't know Lance Russell, check out YouTube. There's tons of videos. And uh, again, thank you, uh, Dan and Benny, for all all you did. I, I have to warn people real quick, though. Once you start watching on YouTube, it is very hard to stop. Because it just, you know, you watch one one feud. And it leads to another storyline, and it's just and right. it and it goes on and on. But it, it's like and it gets better and better and better, and you really don't want to stop watching. Right. You go down the rabbit exactly hole right. so quick when it comes to Memphis, that's for sure. 
And and there's so many so many greats that you know came through Memphis. You know, we mentioned the Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan's, the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Austin Idols, the Jerry Lawlers. You know, uh, uh, golly, Kurt Angles came through Memphis. I mean, you know, uh, The Rock. You know, one of his first stops was in Memphis. I mean, it's it's just it, it could go on and on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we spent the night uh, talking about the le- your legendary uh, Lance Russell announcer, Shane Russell. I uh, appreciate you so much for being here. Um, we'll definitely talk about having you back on if you're if there's more uh, you feel you can say. I know we barely scratched the surface your, your day. We could talk for another couple of hours and I don't think Easily. you'd run out of stories just just of one particular year or moment. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know. uh it's probably not not easy, but um, I appreciate everything you said. Being so candid, uh, it's good to get the human side of somebody so so beloved and so important to the business. Guys, I can't thank you enough. It's it's uh, it's always great to talk about Dad and Lance Russell, and I appreciate it. Love to be on again if you ever guys want to talk more about it. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good night. Absolutely, you have Absolutely. a good night, sir. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, we, you always joke, Benny, the, uh, the word legend thrown around too much. This, this is not just a story of a legend that this was legendary. I don't want to sound like I'm patting ourselves on the back here, but that was incredible. We, we could have sat here for another three hours, I think. And, you know, one question would have led to another. We could have been here all night. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much history and story there and to get it from somebody so involved, because that's the other thing you hear stories. I mean, we talked uh, on the old show with like Lanny Poffo and and some of these some of these second generation uh, we've had. We've had uh, descendants, spouses on on in the past. And there's always some kind of a gap, you know, uh, people talking about their father, talking about their husband. And he was away. He was uninvolved. He was this. He was that. Lance Russell was not just involved, but because it was a local territory for most of his time, he was he was there. And Shane was there to to tell the stories and see. And clearly was close with his father, which is just awesome. You you often, unfortunately, a lot of times when you hear stories in the wrestling business, it's of distant families. But this was obviously not the case. And this is just such a great story. I'm glad we got a chance to hear it. This is exactly why I have been a wrestling fan for 52 years. You know, I got teased constantly because back in the day, it wasn't that when I was a teenager, it wasn't popular to be a wrestling fan. And I always stuck by my guns. But there's a certain I mean, I love baseball, too. But there's a a huge difference in wrestling. You become close with these guys, even though you don't really know them. But you you almost attach yourself to them. And, you know, now we get to hear these stories of what actually happened and, you know, get to talk to, you know, Lance Russell's son or, you know, even some of the old timers we had like Dominic DiNucci or Ivan Putsky and and Jimmy, of course, you get to hear all this. And it just it makes me proud to be a wrestling fan. And a show like tonight definitely makes me proud to be a wrestling fan. Yeah, absolutely. And true wrestling fan like, you know, there, like you said, you, you were talking earlier about Memphis. I mean, that that energy. It's just it's something else. And you don't get that even as someone as who I mean, um, you can't tell 
with the audio, but I'm, I'm wearing an old Redskin shirt right now. But as someone who's such a fan of sports across the board, wrestling just does something that no other form of entertainment really brings out in people, at me as a fan anyway. It just evokes emotions that I don't think any other sport can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, another great show in the books, Benny. We got a lot coming up. Our first show in November, I think we uh, started fall, the fall season, uh, with quite quite a good one. Uh, any I think, final you know, to use a baseball term, we, uh, we, we knocked this one out of the park. And it's not a, not a reflection on us. I mean, it's just Shane was just a great guest. And, oh, absolutely. I mean, he kept apologizing about the emotion, but, like, I mean – not that I enjoyed hearing him being so emotional, but it, it it was heartwarming to hear him, to hear anybody talk that way about their father. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you see the, you see the bond there and it's, it's good stuff. And I mean, how can you not, how can you not love the story because of how much you have to just have to love the man it's about? Absolutely. So for, the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Good night, folks. Stay safe.